Hello and welcome to another episode of Protecting Patients, Preventing Harm. My name is Jasmine Saluja, and this is the second episode of my capstone podcast for my project, Protect and Prevent, on medical malpractice. With me today, I have Mr. Jim Rossner. Mr. Rossner began his law practice in Maryland in 1981, and during that time, most of his work was on medical malpractice cases. He was a defense lawyer for doctors, nurses, and hospitals, and he represented a number of the major hospital systems in Maryland before retiring from the private practice of law in 2015. Today's episode will cover Mr. Rossner's background as a malpractice lawyer, his perspective on medical malpractice, especially from the viewpoint of defense and healthcare professionals, and some advice on what we can do to protect ourselves. First and foremost, a big thank you to you, Mr. Rossner, for interviewing with me today. I'm confident that we can learn from you and also make a positive impact on our communities. Thank you for all of the hard work you have done as a lawyer in the malpractice field and the work you are doing now to help spread awareness about the epidemic. Alrighty, jumping in, I'm aware that you that when you practice as a lawyer, you defended the, the doctors. My project doesn't side with either per se. However, I'm focused on patients' rights so that medical malpractice can be avoided. Your side of the story is still very beneficial to see the whole perspective. Can you give some background on your career? What pushed you in the direction of a malpractice lawyer? That's a little bit convoluted. <laughs> uh, I um, During the uh, summer um, before um, Entering into law school, mm -hmm. uh, I uh, lived in Chicago, and uh, I was living with a number of medical students at that time. Interesting. <laughs> and for my summer job, they had already started school. Um, they invited me uh, on more than one occasion to go to the lab with them, where I saw <laughs> them with their cadavers. Uh -huh. And so we had lots of discussions about medicine over... Uh, the time that I was there, I became more interested in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that kind of tweaked my interest to start with. Um, after graduating from law school, I went to work and I started doing some personal injury cases. And all of those cases involve medicine. Mm -hmm. They involve in some way a person who was injured in some sort of an accident. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was very interested in the medicine. Um, we then had a child with, born with multiple disabilities. And as a result of that, uh, I started doing some research and that research to get him the care that he needed because we lived in a very small town at that time mm -hmm. uh, in Indiana, led us to move to Maryland. And when I moved to Maryland, I joined a larger law firm and that law firm had a good number of attorneys that were doing medical malpractice work. And I was invited to join them, and that's how I started my practice in medical malpractice law. Well, I like how, or I guess it must not have been fun for you at the time, but I like how you have a personal story that really pushed you in that direction. Thank you. Um, so why the doctors? What pushed you in that direction? Well, the way, and I think you'll probably discover more of this when you talk to some of the lawyers who represent the patients, mm -hmm. some of the plaintiff's lawyers, the vast majority of those firms are really small firms, two, three, four lawyers. Yeah. Um, many of the firms that represent the, the hospitals, the doctors, are larger firms. Mm -hmm. Moving from Maryland, um, it was much uh, easier for me, if you will, to apply to a large firm. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence, yeah. the law that they did was defending the doctors, nurses, and hospitals. So that's how I ended up on that side of the equation. Gotcha. Um, why do you think malpractice occurs? So that's a very interesting question. And 
let's start by talking about what malpractice is, because I think a lot of people um, may be confused about that. Sure. Um, malpractice, by definition, means that someone was negligent in the practice of medicine. Mm -hmm. Negligence means lack of due care or an unreasonable um, action in the care of a patient. Mm -hmm. It is never intentional. If yeah, it is, to yes, if it's intentional, that's a criminal act. Mm -hmm. And the person is subject to being charged with a crime. Mm -hmm. That never occurs and has never occurred to me in a malpractice case. It's always an allegation that somebody lacked care. Um, our being human beings in virtually every profession in everything that we do every day, you will run into somebody who is accused of not using the care that they should have used um, in doing what a, driving a car, having an accident. Uh, it's much the same in the medical field where somebody is accused of not using the care that they should have and that a patient has been injured as a consequence. So merely being human yeah. and practicing is going to lead to some claim of malpractice. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one part of it. The other part that I think that people really need to keep in mind is that um, people who have been the victims of a medical injury um, frequently suffer a very significant injury. They're very disappointed. It's very emotional for that person. And so, as a consequence, it's easy to look to someone to say that somebody Point is at, finger. yes, somebody has done something wrong yeah. and is at fault. Um, so I think that if you understand that background, that's the beginning to understand the process of what happens in a malpractice case. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier that we're human, we make mistakes. And we do. it's hard because doctors are known to like, oh, they can fix me, they can help cure what I'm having, like I'm having a bad day, they can help me fix that. But at the end of the day, we're human. Like doctors can make mistakes too. Yeah. And it's crazy how it just after that one negligent mistake or something, everything spirals out because it's hard for the family too, and not just the patient, but their family. It's terribly hard for families. It's terribly hard for patients. In every case that I was involved in, I had to deal with either the patient specifically, or if it was a death case, unfortunately, the family. Mm -hmm. So yes, I dealt with the emotions. Uh, of the other side in every single case that I had, that I was involved in. It's really tough because, I mean, that's your loved one right there. That is. It's tough <laughs> on the healthcare provider. I cannot tell you the number of people. Let's just talk about physicians. The same is true for nurses. They mm -hmm. devote their lives, their whole careers, to trying to help people. Mm -hmm. um, they take continuing education courses to stay on top yeah. of their profession. The number of times that I've represented a professional who's been sued who's thought about giving up the practice because they are so emotionally devastated that they've been accused of injuring somebody that they've tried to help, um, that's the other side of the story. I'm glad you're bringing light to that because I feel like a lot of people really don't. I mean, when you think about practice, when I used to think about practice before I jumped in all of my research for this podcast, it was just like... Oh, like I was just going off of the family aspect because I had lost my own grandmother to malpractice. It was like the impact that it had on me, but 
shining light on the other side and looking at how the healthcare professionals are reinfected is really an important part. Really sorry to hear about your grandmother. That's been devastating. Yeah, I, I never really got a chance to meet her, but I'm sorry. Her impact has traveled down. Um, okay, um, moving on. Do you think malpractice affects certain populations more than others? It's a very good question and probably needs um, a little bit more explanation. Um, when you say some populations, what do you mean about so, some populations? Yeah, so for me, my podcast is focusing on the low-income residents of Baltimore City because through the research I've done and um, interviews I've conducted as part of my research, I have um, learned that um, residents with low incomes are more, like, margin, importunately affected by malpractice. So from, from where I was coming from, I was thinking that low-income residents or low-income citizens are more affected by this. So I just wanted to see what your viewpoint was on that. So I would tend to say that I agree with that. Um, I don't think that it occurs because healthcare providers um, treat low-income people as less of a class of people and therefore render less care. I don't, I honestly don't believe that that happens. I, I never had a sense that that was the case. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to think that people may view that themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think there are some real explanations for that. I think that uh, in our country, some people from different ethnic backgrounds um, are more at risk for certain illnesses, certain diseases. Mm -hmm. And some of those people have higher comorbidities, meaning that they have health conditions that make them more at risk. Um, diabetes, for example, cardiovascular disease. Some groups of people are at higher risk. Mm -hmm. um, clearly, um, people who are poor at times um, have poor nutrition. Maybe they... Uh, don't have the same health benefits that other people have, that clearly places them at higher risk. Yes. So if they're getting, whether it's surgery or other health care, mm -hmm. if they're at higher risk, the likelihood of them having problems is greater than somebody who doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to take all of that into consideration. And then the question is, simply because they are at higher risk, does that mean they're subject to more malpractice, or is it a consequence mm -hmm. of the condition that they have mm -hmm. that makes their care more difficult? That's a very good point you bring up. Um, kind of in connection with that, but moving more into like medicine in general, do you think malpractice occurs in like more in one specific subcategory of medicine, like surgery or like pharmacology, or do you think it's more like equally spread out? It's hard for me to say that it's equally spread out, but from my experience, I've handled cases in virtually every area that you would mention. Um, I have probably handled more cases, for example, of obstetrics than, um, say, pharmacology. Can you touch on obstetrics a little bit and explain to our listeners um, what that is? Well, that involves a woman who is pregnant, um, and then eventually, and hopefully in most cases, with a delivery and a successful delivery of a baby. Mm 
Um, unfortunately, when something goes wrong, again, a really high risk category mm-hmm. of individuals who are at risk of an injury are the young and the old. If you take obstetrics with a newborn baby, mm-hmm. there are lots of risk yeah. um, there. And when a child has an injury, mm-hmm. oftentimes with obstetrics, it's a devastating injury. injury. Mm-hmm. And if you have a devastating injury, the more likely that you're going to have a claim, you know, that somebody did something wrong. There's, it's the emotions again, and it's the cost of raising that child with the injury um, that will lead people to pursue and to look and to pursue potential mm-hmm. malpractice case. So you do see that more frequently in that area. Okay. Um, even when I was conducting my preliminary research behind this, I definitely came a lot of came across a lot of um, birth-related malpractice cases and injuries and things like that. So it's definitely a high, like a, an area where it's definitely um, the cases are higher. It is a high-risk area, and as a consequence, in more recent years, although I've been retired now for what seven years, mm-hmm. um, but in the more um, the case is more at the end of my career. Um, I had the experience of seeing physicians that would move away from their interest in practicing that because mm-hmm. of the risk of being sued is so great in that area of practice. Mm-hmm. What do you think about emergency medicine? Have you come across any cases with that? Because through my research, I've seen that emergency medicine has quite a few, like more cases than say like normal federal medicine. That's an excellent point. And I've handled many cases that involved emergency room care. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we would have to be um, focused maybe on the specifics. Um, let's say heart attack victims. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes uh, a lawyer who is, say, representing, it doesn't matter whether it's the patient or the doctor and they handle a heart attack case, they think they understand what it is. Yeah. Uh, I came to learn that that is absolutely not the case. Every heart attack case is a different case. And yeah. when you have the chance to talk to the physicians who are caring for their, those patients, they can explain it. I think us as lay people, we think it's all the same. Yeah. But it's exceedingly different and it can be exceedingly difficult and the difference in the presentation of symptoms between men and women is dramatically different women have a lot of different presenting symptoms they're a lot vaguer if you will than oftentimes for men mm-hmm. so again it's a it can be a very challenging area of practice and there somebody comes in it's an emergency. It's quick. (laughs) You know, it's on your feet. You've got to figure out what is this. And so I think it it is an area where there is uh, a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. And again, you can have problems that need to be solved very quickly. And again, you can have reasonable care and yet people can miss things. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee that the doctors, they're not perfect. They're not going to get it right every time, even though they may have done the best they could have. They could have done. They may have followed the guidelines for the standard of care, and yet something unfortunate can happen. Um, if I, what is one thing, or what are a few things that you think need to change to reduce the instances of medical malpractice cases? Well, I think this goes 
to both the side of the patient and the yeah. side of the healthcare provider at the same time. Um, patients need to have a better understanding mm -hmm. of what to expect and what the consequences are for the care that they're given, um, whether it's surgery or whether it's other care. Mm -hmm. um, healthcare providers need to do a better job of communicating that yeah. to the patients. Uh, virtually everything that a patient encounters, whether it's surgery, pharmaceutical care, or other care, um, has risk. Mm -hmm. The physician needs to explain what is it's proposed to be done, yes, yeah. which what they propose to do, mm -hmm. why, what are the benefits of that, why? What are the risks to that? Yeah. What are the alternatives to that? What's the likelihood of success? All of that needs to be explained and to be explained clearly. Mm -hmm. Patients need to understand that before they make the decision about what direction they want to go with their care. Mm -hmm. um, it would be a good idea, if you're not in an emergency setting, to um, go in with written questions. Yeah, do your research before yeah. you Yeah, ask. Because a lot of times people are intimidated when they meet a physician. Mm -hmm. They're afraid to ask questions, but if they could sit at home or sit with a loved one and write out what are their questions, what are their concerns, yeah. take that piece of paper in. You'll find that the doctor will take more time with you knowing that you've already given thought and that you have your concerns and they can address it. The other thing I would suggest is Take someone else with you. When you're under the pressure of having to make a decision and it's about your health, mm -hmm. it can be overwhelming to have another set of ears there to hear and to help explain what's going on. To advocate for you. Yes. Definitely. Um, that is something that I totally, for me, I mean, I know, you know, for pediatrics, like you take your parent with you and then one day you're 19 and you're like, oh, going to the doctor on my own. I'm 17, so I don't know how I'm going to get to that point without my mom because, like, not that I'm scared of my doctor, but, like, there's, like, that's, like, my health right there. Like, I need my mom to be there to make sure I'm okay just to have someone there. And I know, like, my parents go to their doctors, each other's doctor's appointments just to have one person there, another set of ears if there's, like, a problem going on to communicate, to discuss things. So I definitely agree with the having someone there to support you part. That's great. Um, in your time as a lawyer, do you, did you see that, like at the start of your career to the end, has there been a decrease in the number of malpractice cases, like overall, or has there been like an increase? Have you seen any changes with like more in like emergency medicine or like has like the trend kind of stayed the same throughout the years? So one would have to ask whether I have either some prejudice or bias in responding to the question. And understanding that, you know, I spent my career representing healthcare providers, yes. take that into consideration and then hearing my response to this because I would like to be fair and objective, but maybe I'm not. That's okay. Okay. Um, I don't know that there's been um, any increase in the actual number of cases in which there has been malpractice. I do think that there has been an increase over time 
in the number of cases that are brought. And I think for any of us, and people who live in Baltimore can see this, if you uh, drive into the city and you'll see the billboards oh, yes. that advertise the plaintiff's attorneys looking for cases Those from patients. TV commercials. TV oh, commercials wow. are incredible. Yeah. Radio commercials. I mean, people are advertising all the time to have mm -hmm. the patients contact them. They're encouraging them. Anyway. They are encouraging them. There is a tremendous amount of money that is at stake in these cases. And the plaintiff's lawyers in bringing their cases tell the patients, look, you don't have any real risk at loss, if you will, because unless we recover, you don't pay anything. Mm -hmm. you, you've heard that on the yep. <laughs> TV. You've heard that on yes. the radio. Um, and they do bear a real burden. Mm -hmm. the, the attorneys, the plaintiff's attorneys do in terms of the expense and all. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to hire, in every single one of these cases, experts uh, who are medical usually experts. medical experts, they're physicians, yeah. and they pay them a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And the doctors, to defend themselves, they hire experts as well. So there's a lot of experts and money, and it's a very a, complicated process. It is, and there's a lot at risk, and there's potentially a lot of money to be made and lost. And do I think that affects the system? I think that in one sense, we'd be silly to say that it doesn't have an impact on the system. It does. Mm -hmm. um, if you were a lawyer defending the patients, how would you approach differently? Again, take into consideration um, my background mm -hmm. and the number of years that I've represented healthcare providers. But I honestly believe that I would approach it in exactly the same way. One needs to understand what the elements are of a malpractice case. Mm -hmm. uh, you would have to, if, if I was representing the patient, I would have to prove that there was some breach of the standard of care, mm -hmm. that there was some neglect, some negligence, some reason that this accident happened that is the responsibility of the healthcare provider. I would have to prove that there was the patient suffered an injury as a result of that and that there was a causal connection between the breach of the standard of care and the patient's injury. That's, that would be my obligation to do that. I would have to do that through an expert witness or, or more than one expert witness mm -hmm. who would come in and establish those elements of, of the malpractice case. If I'm defending, on the other hand, a healthcare provider, I don't have the burden of proof. But if I'm going to do a decent job, I'm going to bring an expert in, an independent person, to say that this is what the standard of care is. It was not breached. Mm -hmm. um, this is the causal connection that doesn't exist. It should be there if there was a breach. Mm -hmm. And that there likely is another explanation for the injury that the patient has. And so I hope that I'm making this clear. It's a little bit complicated. I hope I'm making it clear that what you do as a lawyer on either side. It's pretty much a very similar process. Very similar. Yeah. And I would hope that I would approach both with honesty and integrity if I was representing the patient or if I'm representing the healthcare provider. Really respect that. Um, yeah, it's 
it's crazy because you would think that it might be very different processes because you're coming from two very different viewpoints, but the criteria for the case is pretty much the same. You need the same components. So that's um, really nice to bring light to. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier was you're, you defend the doctors, the mm -hmm. um, nurses. Um, do you, have you seen that more doctors, more cases are going towards the doctors or like more nurses are getting sued? Like what have you noticed is a higher, at a higher risk for a malpractice case? That's a very interesting question. I think that there are dramatically more cases against physicians than there are against nurses. Um, my experience in representing nurses is they, they tend um, to feel like they've done something wrong much more easily than what the doctor does. Mm. Whether it's an understanding of the standard of care, mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but that was my experience. And, and I don't mean that they did something wrong. There was just yeah. more of a tendency to think this person was injured and that they would just feel that they did something wrong. Whereas the physicians, yeah, physicians had more of an understanding that I think that this is a risky business that we're in and that, yeah. that things can go sideways. Yeah. So, but, but more cases are against the doctors. And as time has gone on, um, more of a tendency to sue the hospitals and not the individuals. And part of the change that occurred there is, um, and this gets a little bit complicated, but I talked about the number of malpractice cases, the expense that are involved. When I began my practice, most of the physicians um, were independent. Today, most are affiliated with some kind of hospitals. Hospital. They become employees, and the hospitals provide their malpractice insurance. And these they, big institutions have a lot of money. So. They do, and you know, um, they. So doctors have frequently given up their independence and become employees of the institutions. And as a result, when the suits are filed, there's a tendency to sue the institution and not the physician. Not always the case. Frequently, they they will do both, but it's um, they will focus on the institution. Why? I was just going to say, wouldn't that be a little bit harder though, because the institution has so much money? No, it doesn't. It, well, they're after the money, so oh, that's, that's why. That's, that's why you go for them. That's okay. why you want the institution, you <laughs> yeah. know, and they have, yeah, they have the money, and many of them have a self-insured practice now. They they because they can. Uh, that's the way they choose to do it rather than outside insurance. They may have some outside insurance at a higher level mm -hmm. after you've run through uh, the, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, what, what, are, what is self-insured. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think the reason is this. When they start to question the doctor or the nurse, mm -hmm. they find that these are very fine human beings. And they have sympathy themselves, and they have good explanations. Mm -hmm. And so they're less likely to want to target those individuals. And it's mm -hmm. much easier to just say that the institution, institution. is at fault. I mean, they need someone to blame. <laughs> if it's not going to be the professionals, it's going to be the institution that they're at. If that makes sense. Alrighty. Um, 
So going into a little bit of like my personal side. So I lost my grandmother due to negligent doctors who wouldn't do anything without money in their hands. And this also goes back to the very bad healthcare system in India at the time. And it's frustrating for us because we blame the doctors for her death. But what do you think about this? Because you're coming from this, the other perspective I'm on the other side. Um, and how often do you hear similar stories of these of this kind of frustration? I know you kind of touched on the emotion getting on the way, but well, first of all, I'm sorry for your grandmother. I'm sorry for your loss. Okay. That's you. devastating for the family. Um, so I'm glad that you mentioned that this was in India, mm -hmm. because I think the healthcare system in the United States is likely different yes, from in India. In all the cases that I've handled, or all the cases that I've heard of, I've never heard of somebody being denied care because they didn't have money to pay the doctor. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's never happened here. I, I've just never heard of it. It would be yeah. an extremely rare occurrence in my judgment. Mm -hmm. um, most, probably not everyone, but most of the hospitals in this country, um, except um, either Medicare or, or Medicaid. Usually they accept both. Mm -hmm. And the federal government has regulations. It says that if those hospitals accept federal funding from Medicare and Medicaid, they cannot reject and refuse to treat a patient in emergency setting. And that's why you, we see so many people go directly to the emergency room to get care. If they don't have a private doctor that they can go to, those, the hospital system is kind of the backup care in this country where people go and yes. people get served. But that's been hard on the hospitals too because the ERs have been overloaded recently. You're, you're, absolutely, crazy. you're absolutely right. But until we come up with a better universal healthcare yes. system in this country, which I think we really need, we need, <laughs> we need that. You know, until we have it, you can expect people to go to the emergency rooms, but you are not going to see people denied treatment because they don't have money. I do not believe in this country. That is good to know. Um, and I think for my grandmother's case specifically, half of it was, or I guess a little bit more than half, was about you pay first and then we'll treat. But also when they were treating, I don't, or I mean, I wasn't there, I don't know. This is just what I've heard from my family members, but the treatment wasn't like adequate, like or it wasn't equally treated to like different patients like they said she was in the ICU literally blue like she didn't have enough oxygen and there is no one like my dad standing outside of the door banging like for someone to come and help and she's turned in blue and there's no nurse no like no one like it's like blank and he's watching her like literally like turn blue and I was like hearing that from him and I was like that is insane and I'm, well, I'm really glad that we don't, we have much better care here in the United States. I mean, even us in some ways are lacking, and I'm really glad that I have you here today to shine some light on that. It's horrible what happened to her. If the same thing happened in this country, oh, that would be it would be horrible. Situation. And the, the, the benefit, if you will, mm -hmm. of having malpractice cases is that it does increase the standard of care. Yeah. And the performance of people, you know, as a health, if you were a healthcare provider, doctor or nurse, and you knew 
that you were subject to a malpractice case that is going to influence your, your level of care. You are going yeah. to do what you believe is necessary to give good care. Yeah. I think that malpractice cases are a benefit for that reason. I've never really considered that. It makes sense what you're saying because having that fear, I guess, in a way of being subject to that really would push you to make sure you're really performing at the standard of care above. We see this in the products liability area. Get away from medical malpractice cases for a moment. Mm -hmm. The fact that we have product liability cases has increased the care and the safety of products in this country mm -hmm. dramatically because people are held to account if they don't. Especially in recent years, in like the past few years even, there's been a lot of movement towards that. Yes. Um, on our way to wrap up, what is one piece of advice you would give to citizens that we could use to keep ourselves safe in healthcare settings? I think it's probably something that I've already said, and that is communicate, communicate, communicate. Communicate with your health professionals and do yes. research. <laughs> yes, understand. It's, it's our responsibility ourselves to have an understanding of how to protect ourselves and our loved ones. Mm -hmm. And so we need to ask questions, we need to talk, we need to make sure we understand. Um, is there anything else you would like to add? Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking out the time and coming to be a part of my interview. You're very welcome. Before we close off, I want to give another big thank you to Mr. Rossner for joining me in this episode today. I can confidently say that I've learned a lot and hope that our listeners have as well. Thanks again. And with that, this is the end of this episode. Stay tuned to join me for the next one.